please turn in your Bibles to Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. And if you don't have a personal Bible, I would love for you to leave with a personal Bible so that you have a Bible that you bring with you on Sundays. We have those free of charge. We would love to give you one. If you don't have one right now, you can use one in the pew rack. There's a little red one there you can use. But we want you to have the Bible open to to make sure that what I'm saying you actually see in the book. Because if what I say is not in the book, then you have no reason to listen to me. (laughs) No reason. We are working our way through Matthew's gospel. We believe the most healthy diet of a church is to go through books of the Bible, though we do topical sermons from time to time. The main uh, uh, meal we serve is, is through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And we're in Matthew 14, 13 through 21 today. Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 13. Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Father, many of us have read this before and heard about the feeding of the 5,000. Lord, we pray that your word and the works of Christ would never get old to us. Father, we pray that we would come to you this morning even as newborn Christians. We, maybe we would remember when we just got saved and how we were filled with joy and excitement. And I hear people sometimes say, oh, yes, you're so immature. You're so full of joy and excitement and zeal, but you mature, and then you lose all that. Father, send that where it belongs, to the pit of the evil one. 
Father, we, we want to live in that moment. Yes, we want to mature, but we want to be amazed at grace as if it were the first day we got saved. We, we want to be in love with our wives as if we're newlyweds. God, we, we, we want to, 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 to have joy in you as, as the first moment we came to believe. And Father, we, we, we know that seems impossible. Impossible to go back to that kind of joy and feeling and excitement. Just like it's impossible to feed 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves. So God, we call on you to do the impossible today and amaze us with grace. Amaze us that you've saved us from hell. Amaze us with the beauty of Jesus. Amaze us, Lord, that you're not going to curse us. Amaze us afresh with this story we may have heard a hundred times. Lord, show us yourself. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us as much zeal and passion and desire and delight as we had when we were first born again. Father, do it, Lord. Help us return to our first love. For Jesus' sake, amen. As human beings, we have great needs. Many of the, the, the things that we call needs today, especially in America, they're not needs, they're wants. <laughs> Do we even know what it is to need anything? But we do have great needs as human beings. We, 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 we need water. We, we can't live without water. These are real needs. I'm going to help you all remember what real needs are. You need water. You need clothing. You need some kind of shelter, even if it's a tent. That's all we need. That's what the Bible says. If I have food and clothing, that's enough. And we need food. Without, without those things, we would die. Those are what we need. And those are great needs. Even just those, those are great needs. If we don't have food and water, we die. And we have an even greater need. We need to be forgiven of our sins. Our greatest need can only be met by God himself. By feeding the 5,000, and we know from the last verse it was more than 5,000, it was probably 10 to 20,000, by, by, by the feeding of all these thousands of people today, Jesus shows us today that he is the true God. He's the true God who can meet all of our needs. That, that's the main application of the text today. It tells us who Jesus is. He is the God Almighty. <laughs> He's not just Almighty some of the time. He's not just Almighty yesterday, tomorrow, today. He's Almighty all the time. I'm quoting Brother Anthony Austin. He's God Almighty all the time. Yes. That's what this text is about. And he alone can meet all of our needs. He alone can meet all of our true needs. 
And friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you need to know that your greatest need is not what you think it is. It's not for your team to win this afternoon. Even though we want our team to win tomorrow night. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is not a new phone. Our greatest need is not even lunch this afternoon. Our greatest need is to be saved from our sins. And God so loves us. He so loves you, sinner, that he's met that need. He sent his son, Jesus, who, who, who we're going to read about today and see how he ministers. He, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world to live a perfect life, to obey God's laws. We, we heard a wonderful meditation this morning. If you're not coming to Sunday school to hear uh, Michael Osborne teach, you are missing out on, on uh, a feast we deserve hell and curses and judgment. We deserve tsunamis to fall upon us. We deserve a tornado to, to come through here while we're in church today and destroy this whole building and, and have the, the walls and, 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 and roof collapse on us all. That's what we deserve. That's what we deserve. We deserve our houses to crumble on our heads. And yet God has mercy. You ever go out of church and say, praise the Lord that the roof didn't collapse today? We take it for granted. We just take everything for granted. But God doesn't give us what we deserve. And, and we deserve more than that. We, we deserve hell. We deserve God's wrath and hell and, 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 and his judgment and curse forever and ever and ever. And yet he's not given us that. He sent his son Jesus into the world to live a perfect life, to obey the law, to do everything that was written in the book of the law, to do it. And then died on that Roman cross and suffered God's curse, God's hell, God's judgment. He bore our sorrows. Every sorrow you've ever had, every sorrow, every heartbreak, every loss, Jesus bore that sorrow. He died. He was buried. And on the third day, he rose from the dead. He's alive. He's living and reigning. And he calls you and everyone everywhere to repent, to believe on him. You can't earn his love. You can't earn your justification. You, you can simply receive it by faith alone in Christ alone. Friend, if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian. Would you believe in him today who alone can satisfy all your needs? Trust Him, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believer, I would encourage you to beg God to never let that get old to you. Never let that get old to me, Lord. Never let me cease to be amazed by grace, by salvation, that you saved me from hell. Never let me cease to get used to the cross. Make me a child, Lord. Amazing sunrise this morning. Amazing blue sky. Amazing people who are my friends who actually keep coming back on Sunday. Amazing word of God that I have. Amazing privilege that I can pray to the living God. Amazing privilege to hear the gospel that millions have never heard and have died and gone to hell and yet you hear it and believe it. 
Lord, let, let me be amazed again afresh at your word, at your truth, at this story that my wife said yes to marry me. Like, amaze me again. We ought to fight to live in that amazement of the gifts of God and not let anything get old. But it does. It happens all the time, doesn't it? Things just get old. We get used to it. And it just becomes commonplace. That's a sin. That's a sin. That's a wicked, ungrateful, thankless sin for things to get ho-hum to us that we should be amazed that God would ever give us. Father, amaze us with grace. Amaze us that you allowed us to live another day, me, another day to preach, us another day to hear the, the good news, to hear the word of God. Lord, help us fight to stay amazed at you and all that you've done for us. One commentator comments that the feeding of the 5,000 is in fact the only miracle to appear in all four Gospels. Now, tell me what's wrong with that. Oh, is that Anthony? There's another miracle that happens in all four Gospels. Some pastors and commentaries pick that up and some don't. But I want you to be close readers of the text. And so if you hear someone say that the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that occurs in all four Gospels, you know, and the resurrection. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So I sort of added that to their little comment. The feeding of the 5,000 is in fact the only miracle to appear in all four Gospels besides the resurrection. Perhaps because it shows so comprehensively how Jesus is equal to all human need whether social or spiritual. Jesus is equal to all human need, whether social or spiritual. Do you think you have needs this morning? This passage is telling you Jesus can meet that need. And more, as we'll see, and more, 12 baskets they picked up. He can meet your need and more to overflowing, fullness to overflowing. And so let's look at this text together. Point number one, after hearing of Herod's response to his ministry, Jesus withdrew. Look at verse 13. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. When Jesus heard this, what, what, what did he hear? What did he hear? And again, some uh, Theologians, commentators, pastors uh, think this is referring to him hearing about all we talked about last week, John the Baptist's death and how he died. But I side with others who understand all that we got last week about John the Baptist was sort of a footnote to what uh, Matthew wrote in verses 1 and 2. Matthew 14, 1 and 2, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And then Matthew goes on to tell us about how John died. But, but he starts, chapter 14, Herod's heard about all that Jesus has done. And Herod thinks it's John the Baptist raised from the dead. And Jesus heard that. He heard that Herod's heard about him. 
And in response to him hearing this political leader whom he would later call a sly fox, you tell that fox Herod, Jesus withdraws. It was not yet Jesus' time to die. Jesus protected himself from situations and circumstances we, th- we see throughout the Gospels that could lead to his premature death. He withdrew. He passed through the crowd that was going to throw him off the cliff in his hometown, for example. But when his time came to die, he gave himself over and allowed himself to be taken. He didn't resist. There are times in Christian history when Christians have retreated from persecution if they are able, and there are times when they stood and stayed and died. We recently saw in Matthew 10, 23, when they persecute you in one town, Jesus said, flee to the next. So sometimes we must stand and die, and sometimes we should flee. And here Jesus withdraws. Jesus gets in a boat, and he is with his disciples. He and his disciples get in this boat, and and they withdraw from the crowds. Uh, They need rest. They need refreshment. Uh, uh, Jesus may be retreating to to, uh, stay away from Herod because he's heard about him. Or if you take Jesus uh, hearing about John the Baptist, he may be uh, retreating to think more about John's death and even what he might face like John. But Jesus withdraws to a desolate place. Point number two, the crowds of people pursued Jesus. Look at verse 13. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And so so Jesus goes off in a boat on the Sea of Galilee to a desolate place. The crowds find out about this and they follow him on foot. Where is he going? Where is he going? Wherever he lands the boat, we're going there. We want Jesus. We want to be with Jesus. And we know many of these people were simply superficially following Jesus because he tells them in other gospels, you you came because you wanted food. Not because they wanted him as food. Many people, even today, still follow Jesus superficially. They will come and gather as long as it's helpful for them. I mean, can you imagine, beloved, gathering here in Iran or Somalia where you know, or even me, pastor, are you going to keep preaching when you know somebody might come in here and kill you? How is that going to affect church attendance? I mean, ask yourself this morning, would you have come? today, if you knew there's a 50% chance authorities could come in here and arrest us all and put us to death? May we not follow Jesus superficially, but may we be basic Christians, basic true Christians who deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus for the right reasons. And so these crowds, they, they, they follow Jesus into this wilderness, into this desert place, into this empty place. 
Point three, Jesus had compassion on the people and healed the sick. Look at verse 14. When he went ashore, so he, he, he goes off in, in a, a boat, but then he comes to shore to this desolate place by the, by the sea, and he saw a great crowd. He sees that these people had followed him, and what is his response? Oh, no, I was trying to get away from them. I need a break. No, that's not how Jesus responds. His heart, his heart is bent toward compassion. Pray for your pastor that he would be more like Jesus. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. This word for compassion is used eight times in the New Testament and it always refers to Jesus. Again, notice the heart of Jesus. Yes, he was serious about getting alone and away from people. He was in a boat on the water going to a desolate place, but when he came back to shore, he saw the great crowd and had compassion on them. He, 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 he had deep, deep heart felt down in the gut feelings and emotions of love and mercy and grace and compassion. Because, because I can even be in a place where I, I have compassion in my actions, but in my heart and mind I'm thinking, I wish they would go away. <laughs> we can do the right thing. We can do the right thing and have the right action, and yet in our hearts, we know, we know, we, our first thought was, please go away. Like the disciples are going to say, go away. Disciples are always saying, go away. <laughs> but not Jesus. Jesus is perfect through and through. Heart, mind, soul, body, compassion, just oozes out of him. And I know I need a miracle. I want to be like him. I need a miracle as powerful as the, the feeding of the 5,000 to make my first thought and instinct and feeling be compassion toward people when I was trying to get away. Pray that we would be like Jesus. Look at his compassion. His compassion leads to action. He healed their sick. He, he healed them. He, he, he doesn't just talk about his act, uh, compassion or, or, or say he has compassion or have feelings of compassion, but they lead to action. Put some legs on those prayers. Jesus does that. It leads to action. He healed their sick. Jesus loves. See how Jesus loves as you read the Gospels. He cares about people's needs. He cares about their, their pains. Beloved, He loves you. He cares about your needs. He cares about your pains. He cares about your sufferings. Do you believe that? Yes. 
Do you believe that? Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. I, I have been immersing myself in uh, uh, Elizabeth Elliot's life and, and the, her teachings. I've been listening to them online. Steve, if you're listening, he's been doing the same, just binging on her, her, her videos and her teachings. You can see tons of them online. And um, I, I have come to the conclusion, <laughs> I am a pipsqueak compared to her. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I am a pipsqueak Christian. Mainly because I don't think I believe that God loves me the way she does. And, and she faced this horrific ordeal of, of, of meeting the man of her dreams and marrying him and having a child with him and spending three amazing years with him and then God taking him home. And I think, what would I do in that situation? I would be destroyed. I would be a pipsqueak. I would be nothing. I would be brought to shambles if God gave me a spouse and took her in three years, the woman of my dreams. I would be devastated. I'm a squeak Christian. <laughs> Lord, help me follow her as she followed Christ. She, she just over and over, trust me. Talking about God, trust God. Trust God. God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Do you believe that? He does. He does, beloved. He, he loves you. He gave his son for you. He can't do anything more for you to show his love for you. He cannot love you more and will not love you less as Michael said, as Shalin says, as Michael Card says. Who knows who said it first? Do you know that? That's my problem. I don't believe that like I should. God loves me. God loves me. Can you say that? God loves me. I'm tempted to do a pull. Look to your neighbor. Anthony, should I do that? Look to your neighbor and say, God loves me. Amen. Amen. I hope nobody leaves the church. God loves me. He loves you. I mean, see this in, in, in Jesus' compassion. Jesus loves you. He's showing his love for people here as he multiplies the bread. He loves you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you faced in your life. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you, Ted. He loves you. I love the hymn, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to thy glorious rest above. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, spread his praise from shore to shore. How he loveth, ever loveth, changeth never nevermore. How he watches o'er his loved ones died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, watcheth o'er them from the throne. 
Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Love of every love the best. Love of every love the best. Ain't nobody loved me like Jesus, as Ted says. Tis an ocean vast of blessing. Tis a haven sweet of rest. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Tis a heaven of heavens to me. And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. Beloved, get that this morning. Jesus loves these people, and Jesus loves you. And nothing that happens in your life, no circumstance can ever increase or change that love. He loves you. Point four, Jesus' disciples have a food shortage. Look at verses 15 through 18. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Beloved, notice the disciples urge Jesus to send the crowds away because there is no food. These men, women, and children are needy. They need food to live. We as human beings are needy. And, and, and back then, food was much harder to prepare than it is today. There were no microwaves. There, there's no food ready to eat. There's no mom's meals. Anthony let me have some of them mom's meals and I like them things. You stick them in, cook them up, and you're ready to go in two minutes. It's not like that then. It was hard to prepare food, hard to get the food, hard to prepare it. People spent loads and loads and loads and loads of time just centered around eating, preparing the meal, serving the meal, eating the meal, growing the crops. And they needed food where they were. They can't provide it for themselves in this place. They're in the wilderness. They're in the wilderness. Remember who else has been in the wilderness? They're like sheep without a shepherd. They need a shepherd to provide. In fact, they need the good shepherd to provide. Jesus says the crowds don't need to leave and tells his disciples, you give them food. Jesus makes it clear to his own disciples that they are responsible for doing ministry. He said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Wonder what the disciples were thinking then. Jesus said, you help, you serve, you provide, you feed, you minister to the people. Ligon Duncan comments on this and says, have you ever noticed how often in the Gospels the disciples respond to someone coming to Christ by saying, in effect, go away? Have you ever noticed that? In Matthew chapter 15, we're going to come to a passage where a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician woman, comes to the Lord Jesus for help. And you know what the disciples tell her? Go away. Well, that's evangelistic. And there's another passage. Do you remember the people bringing children to Christ and they want Christ's blessing on the children and you know what the disciples say to them? Don't bother the master with your children. Go away. Leave us alone. This is the core of missionary force that's going to take the world? 
The disciples are constantly telling people, in effect, don't bother the master and don't bother us, go away. And here, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, don't tell them to go away. You give them something to eat. He is saying to his disciples, he is saying to us, I am placing the responsibility on you to minister. It's not an option. You don't have a choice. You're mine. I've bought you with a price. You minister, you serve, you give, you show compassion. It's not your option to say, go away. You minister, you serve. And so we can hear this from Jesus this morning. Jesus expects us as his followers to show compassion, to minister, to serve like he does. The problem is the disciples can't. They, they only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And, and even, the, you know, we think of loaves of bread, you know, sort of bigger. These were probably much smaller loaves. This, 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 this meal was probably good for one or two people at most. They, they, they can't feed all these people. They're unable to feed all these people. But beloved, they were with the one who can. God had used Moses, Elijah, and Elisha to perform miracles to feed God's people. Now here is God in their midst, yet his disciples are worried about having food for everyone. I mean, not only do they know about Moses and Elijah and Elisha, they know these Old Testament stories and accounts and history, but they've been with Jesus, and they've seen Jesus heal people, cast out demons. They've seen him speak to a storm and peace be still, and it was so. They've seen Jesus raise the dead, and yet they wonder where they're going to get enough food. We, we all think that if we had, we'd seen all those things, we'd know what to do. Hey, Jesus, say the word. I mean, think that you, we, we think that way, right? If I'd seen him calm the storm, if I'd seen him raise the dead, if I'd seen him do all these things, I, I know who I got with me. I'm riding with Jesus. Just, Say the word, but they don't. And yet, beloved, we have seen Jesus do all those things because it is written. And we've seen him do even greater things, die and rise again, and yet don't we act like them? I don't know what I'm going to do. How am I going to survive? How am I going to get through this? This is impossible. We're just like them. We're just like them. Weak disciples who need Jesus. Do you doubt Jesus? Don't doubt him. He has done something more amazing than all these miracles for you. He has died for you and been raised for you and indwells you and ever lives to intercede for you. He's coming back for you and he will provide all that you need when you need it, the way you need it, better than you asked for it. But it is true in another sense the disciples can't do this on their own. 
Apart from Jesus and apart, uh, his disciples and we can do nothing. Jesus tells the disciples in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so no matter what challenge they face or we face, we must go to Jesus. <laughs> we must look to Jesus. I love the words of Theodore Menad from he uh, Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, looking unto Jesus, three words only, but in these three words is the whole secret of life. Looking unto Jesus in the scriptures to learn who he is and what he has done, why he did it, and where he is now. Looking unto Jesus incarnate, our representative, our federal head, and surety. Looking unto Jesus crucified to find in his blood our ransom, our pardon, our peace. Looking unto Jesus risen again to find in him the righteousness which alone justifies us and permits us, unworthy as we are, to approach with assurance in his name, him who is his Father and our Father, his God and our God. Looking unto Jesus glorified to find in him our high priest, our heavenly advocate, appearing even now for us before the presence of God and supplying the imperfections of our persons and prayers by the efficacy of his holiness and his prayers, which the Father hears always. Looking unto Jesus and not to our faith, for it is not of faith that strength comes, but it is from the Savior by faith. It is not looking unto our look, it is looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus and not to our strength nor our weakness, not to our gifts nor our griefs, not to our meditations or lack of them, not to our brethren or our enemies. It is looking unto Jesus alone, looking unto Jesus again, looking unto Jesus always, and looking unto Jesus until he comes again and we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. This is what the disciples must do. This is what we must do that we might live the words of 1 Peter 4.11, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Yes. And Jesus helps them out a little bit here. He gives them a little guidance. What they should have known on their own. Yes. Jesus says, bring them here to me. Whew, does that give you chills? Bring them here to me. That'd be a good t-shirt. Bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. Yes, go to Jesus. Bring what little you have to Jesus Christ. Look unto Jesus. One pastor wrote, when Moses insisted that he needed a sign to use before Pharaoh, God told Moses to use the staff that was already in his hand. In other words, there are all these examples of God telling people to bring what you already had to me and see what I'm going to do. And it was the same shepherd's rod that was stretched out to part the Red Sea. Or when the widow of Zarephath needed food, Elisha asked her for nothing more than what she already had and God multiplied that meager amount so that her jar of oil never ran dry. You see, this is encouraging to me as the pipsqueak Christian as I am, I'm going to bring my pipsqueakness to God yeah. and say, Lord, strengthen me. 
Make me stronger. Make me a man. Act ye like men is a Bible verse. Make me a man, God, a man of faith, a man who trusts you. Even when I lose it all, bring what you have to God and ask him to do what he will with it. The Lord said to Gideon, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Or when David fought Goliath, all that he had was a sling and a stone, but he brought it to God. And God slayed that giant. And so too, when the disciples said, we only have two fish and five loaves, Jesus simply said, bring them to me. Beloved, Jesus is God. And so just like Moses and, and just like Elisha and just like Gideon and just like David, we go to God. The disciples go to Jesus, who is God, to get what they need. James Boyce comments, what can you do for Jesus? You know the answer to that as well as I do. Nothing at all. But God has given you something that can be used effectively if you place it in Jesus' hands. Come on now. So what do you have, beloved? What do you have that you need to bring to Jesus and put it in his hands that he might multiply it and use it more than you could ever dream or imagine? Don't hide that talent. Right? And bury it. Use it. Use it for the glory of King Jesus. Do you, do you see and feel your desperate need for Christ? I mean, the disciples started, well, we can't do this. This is good. Good place to start. I can't do this, Lord. I'm unable. I'm, I'm unable, Lord, to preach a sermon that has any good effect on anyone today, Lord. But I bring my, I bring my five loaves and two fish I've worked on. Give them to you, Lord. Pray that you would multiply. Pray that you would help. Pray that you would save. Pray that you would encourage do you feel your desperate need for Christ in whatever you're doing? Parenting, job, service, evangelism. Are you bringing everything you have and need to Jesus? Are you in an impossible and hopeless situation in your life right now? I mean, I mean th this is an impossible situation, right? Feeding 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish, that's impossible. Are you in an impossible situation? The same Jesus that does what we're going to see, he's the same Jesus today for you. Bring it to Jesus. Bring your impossible, hopeless situation to Jesus. There's always hope if you know the King of Kings, the bread of life, because he can do the impossible. Jesus is God. And he often puts us in situations like this that we think are unbearable and hopeless and impossible so he can show off. <laughs> he wants to show off. He showed off to Job. You have no idea what God's doing. Trust him. Trust him and bring it to Jesus. Point five. Jesus provides food to satisfy all the people. Jesus provides food to satisfy all the people. Look at verses 19 through 21. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were satisfied. 
and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Beloved, notice there's a great contrast here that Matthew shows us between that last feast we saw and this feast. Remember that last feast last week with King Herod? There's a great contrast uh, uh, between that feast and this feast. James Boyce writes, we can hardly overlook the contrast between the party King Herod threw on his birthday for his friends and the party Jesus throws in the wilderness for the crowds. The first party is given by a king in his palace. The second by a Galilean preacher in the desert. The first was for the important people of this world. The second for the masses. The first was for Herod. It was his birthday. The second was centered on the crowds. The first was a drunken orgy. The second, a pleasant country meal. The first was immoral. The high point was Salome, Herodias' daughter's provocative dance. The second followed holy, edifying teaching by the Lord. The first ended with the murder of John the Baptist. The second, by the feeding of those who had no food. The first was for this world only. The second anticipated the heavenly marriage supper to which people from every tribe and nation are invited and to which the poor of many nations will come. Herod cared only for himself and his lust for power. Jesus cared for God and his word and his will and his ways and loved other people. Beloved, notice what Jesus does here and all this says to us about who he is. Jesus first orders the crowd to sit down on the grass. And Mark adds, on the green grass. Make you think of a psalm. Psalm 23, 1 and 2. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That means I shall not lack anything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restoreth my soul. Beloved, Jesus is the good shepherd who makes his people lie down in green pastures. And just a little here on Psalm 23. Jesus had to lack everything for the sheep because of the sin of the sheep. Think of Psalm 23. Instead of rest in green pastures, Jesus had no place to lay his head. Instead of still waters, Jesus was baptized with the wrath of God. Instead of a restored soul, his soul was poured out unto death. Instead of being led in paths of righteousness, he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and offered himself as a propitiation so that God might be shown to be righteous and our sins be forgiven. Instead of fearing no evil in the valley of the shadow of death, he was made evil who knew no evil and sorrowed unto death as he contemplated the darkness of death that would utterly consume him. Instead of having God with him as his comfort, God forsook him, pouring out his just wrath upon him. Instead of having a rod and a staff to comfort Jesus, the rod and staff of the Father was pleased to crush him. Instead of having a table prepared before him in the presence of his enemies, he was given over to his enemies and hungered in the wilderness and thirsted unto death on the cross. Instead of having his head anointed with oil, his head was beaten with blows and wore a blood-soaked crown of thorns. 
Instead of having a cup that overflows, he drank the cup of the wrath of Almighty God. He bore the anger of God, the curse of God. Instead of goodness and mercy pursuing him all the days of his life, wrath and torment pursued him all the days of his life because he knew his life would end on that cross and he would die. Instead of dwelling in the house of the Lord, he was banished from the presence of the Lord as an unclean and cursed one. You see, Jesus had to lack everything as he himself became the lamb who was slain. But then he rose up from the grave. And friend, if you repent and believe in him, you shall be saved. And he did all of that as the good shepherd on behalf of stubborn, sinful, hell-deserving sheep like you and like me. This is the best news in all the world. All who know this good shepherd by grace through faith will lack no good thing. For he will provide for you. And he's showing us in this passage today. He will provide for you. He will protect you. He will comfort you. And he will satisfy you fully. He will be your all in all now and forever. Revelation 7, 15 through 17, which our text points us to. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we're going to see the king. And so Jesus is the good shepherd who provides and makes the people lie down in green pastures. And he does so for us today, beloved. Jesus said a blessing for the food that the disciples had. And and so why do we say uh, grace before meals? Where do we get that tradition? People always look down on traditions. It's just tradition. There are lots of good, biblical, right, helpful traditions. We get this from Jesus. He gives thanks. He gives thanks before he eats. He, he, He blesses God for giving them food. And one, one pastor was so funny. I mean, look at the scene here. You got 15, 20,000 people. They got, they got this little meager meal here, and Jesus is praying over the meal. And, and you got to wonder if the disciples are peeking, like, where's this going to come from? While, he, while, while, while Jesus is praying, the di- <laughs> but he thanks God for the food. And then Jesus begins to break the bread and and he miraculously multiplies the bread to feed everyone. The the, the text just doesn't tell us exactly how or or how this happened, but it just says he started breaking the bread and and it's it's like the the widow's 
uh, uh, oil, it just never runs out. Never runs dry. Just keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. And, and he breaks and breaks and breaks and gives to the disciples and they give and give and give. And Jesus miraculously from nothing, out of nothing, that the, the, the big word that theologians like to use, ex nihilo. I don't know what that adds to the sermon. But it means from nothing. From nothing, Jesus spoke this bread into existence. Friend, you do not speak things into existence. God does. Jesus does. Who is God? These false preachers on TV talking, telling you to speak to your wallet. Wallet! Get money! No! That's ridiculous. Jesus does that. Jesus speaks things into existence. God says, let there be light, and there was light. Does this not remind you of that? Jesus is God who speaks things into existence the same way God said, let there be light in Genesis 1, and there was light. All things were made through him, and, and without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator of all things. And he's showing us that here. He speaks this bread into existence. He breaks it into existence. And feeds the multitudes. Jesus is God. And, and we see in verse 19, the disciples gave them to the crowds. Jesus gave the, the, the bread to the, the crowds and the fish to the crowds. And, and, and it, they gave and gave and gave. Jesus' disciples did serve. They did minister. They were to take part in this. We, again, are to take part in ministry to other people who are in need. Telling them about Jesus. Telling them about the great provider. Giving to people who are in need. That's why we give food away every Tuesday at 9 a.m., if you're here this morning and you need food, we give food away on Tuesdays, 9 a.m. If you know people who need food, tell them to come. We give it in the name of Jesus. We share a brief gospel message. We give away gospel tracts. We pray that people would get saved. One of our deacons is here because we give out food on Tuesday morning. That's how he first heard of us and then started coming and has joined the church. And now he helps do it. Every, every, every Tuesday, even though he's, he's reek with pain, rack with pain, he's still out there. <laughs> Praise God. And so we want to minister like this in Jesus' name. Notice, beloved, in the text, everyone ate and was satisfied. I mean, G Jesus goes all out here. I mean, one pastor said, this was bread and fish unaffected by the fall. It must have been some good bread and some good fish. Jesus made this stuff from nothing. And everyone ate and was satisfied. Jesus provides fully. Jesus provides all. Jesus alone satisfies. And it's an overflowing satisfaction. Psalm 132, 13 and 15, for the Lord has chosen Zion. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Jesus 
lives that out. He is the Lord, God Almighty, who satisfies with bread. Psalm 145, 14 and 16, the Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Jesus satisfies. He satisfies these people here. And beloved, he, he can and will satisfy you. Come to him. Psalm 34, 8, that Brother Ted read, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? He's better. He's better than the best food. He's better than the greatest love. He's, he's, he's better than the best of everything that's on earth. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Beloved, Jesus satisfies. He satisfies here in this text. He satisfies with physical bread. He'll satisfy us as well with all of our needs. He gives us this day our daily bread and he satisfies every other need as well. That's what this text is 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 telling us Jesus is the God-man who satisfies. He's the, he's the kingly Messiah who will host the everlasting wedding banquet. That's what this feast points us to. Revelation 19.9, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is a foretaste in Matthew 14, pointing to that everlasting feast where there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no, no more sorrow, no more death fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And to highlight this, 12 baskets full of food are left over. 12 baskets full of food were left over. What does this remind us of? It reminds us, number one, that Jesus' satisfaction is abundant. There's leftovers. He gives more than we could ever dream or imagine. He gives it better than we can ask it. He does better than we pray. If you're praying for something and God ain't giving it, God's got a better idea than you. God can answer your prayers better than you can pray them or better you know to pray them. He knows best. He gives you better. He gives you abundantly. He gives best. Even if you don't understand. He fills us to overflowing with joy and love and hope and satisfaction. That's what these 12 extra baskets point us to. They point us to the fact that Jesus is the creator of a new people, the new people of God, like 12 tribes and 12 disciples. There are 12 baskets. And, and, and Matthew even mentions this in Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. Jesus is creating a new people of God composed of people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation to be His, to be satisfied by Him. This also points us to the fact that Jesus is the new and greater Moses, leading a new people through a new exodus. Jesus commanded them to sit down in the grass. He provided bread for the people in the wilderness and 12 baskets full were left over. Conclusion, Jesus is the good shepherd and prophet like Moses who was to come. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Jesus is the greater Moses who was to come. Beloved, remember Exodus 
Remember Exodus 5.1? Uh, uh, afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness, in the desolate place. And then God eventually took them out there to that wilderness and provided bread from heaven, manna, miraculous feeding of the how many ever million or 500,000? I'm not sure what they estimate the number of Israelites, but it was a lot. And God provided the manna in the wilderness. And here Jesus provides bread from heaven in the wilderness. Jesus is God. And the bread and fish didn't run out. Jesus is the power of God. Jesus is also the prophet to come. The prophets of old, Elijah and Elisha, did things like this by the power of God. The widow of Zarephath, 1 Kings 17, 16, the jar of flour was not spent, nor did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he'd spoken to Elijah. And Elisha fed a hundred men with little food in 2 Kings 4. And here we have 12 baskets left over. The bread didn't run out. The fish didn't run out. Jesus is the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, the greater Elisha, all at the same time. And he said this in John 6, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Beloved, notice verse 19. And taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. One commentator, R.T. France, comments, it is striking that the four verbs, take, bless, break, and give, occur with minor variations, not only in all six accounts of the two miraculous feedings, so the feeding of the 5,000 in all four, the feeding of the 4,000 in Matthew and Mark. Those verbs occur those six places and at the Emmaus meal after Jesus rose from the dead, but also in all four accounts of the Lord's Supper. Those four verbs occur, including 1 Corinthians 11. Legan Duncan comments, as we gather in Jesus' name to take the Lord's Supper, we hear Jesus say the words, take and eat. It's as if Jesus is recalling the words from Genesis 3 about Eve taking and eating of the serpent's fruit. And Jesus says, watch this, Satan. Then he repeats the words by offering himself as a sacrifice, take and eat. This is my body given for you. What were once words leading to condemnation are now on the lips of Jesus, words of salvation. And so in order 
for Jesus to be the bread of life. He gave his life. He gave his flesh for the life of the world. And so we read in Matthew 26, 26, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Jesus gives these needy people bread. And he himself is the bread of life who alone satisfies. He was broken on that cross and he rose up from that grave so that now we feast on him by faith that we might be saved. That's my king who's the prophet, good shepherd and provider whose strong arms of mercy can't be opened wider. Jesus had compassion on the crowd though they were proud and without a leader poorly endowed. He taught them truth out loud while they sat under the cloud until their stomachs growled. And with his power to provide, he wowed the crowd and gave them more food than their appetites allowed. He's God come down and they should have bowed. And to him, all allegiance avowed. That's my king. People came to Jesus from every place Though he had no desirable face, he and his disciples couldn't hide from the chase or slow down their pace, and they had no personal space, but he kept showing love and grace that would eventually spread to every race. That's my king. Do you know my king? He's the prophet like Moses who was to come, though they didn't know where he came from. He was spit upon, killed, and treated like scum. He rose from the grave, lifting up from the slum of all beauty and good. He's the infinite sum. That's my king. He's the good shepherd who had to die. Is there another way? Was his holy cry forsaken on the cross? He asked the Father why. He obeyed the divine will and did comply. Without a sigh, he glorified the Most High and kept his eye fixed on the joy to come by and by to win for us mercies of endless supply. If on him alone, we'll only rely. So what's your reply? To his arms, may you forever fly. He's the bread of life who died for his wife in order to finally end all strife. He's the bread that was broken, an incomparable token, God's final word spoken from the dead. He's awoken to save his chosen, restore their emotion and win their devotion as he makes a way open to enjoy his bottomless love mercy ocean. That's my king. I wonder if you know him today. He's the bread who came down to wipe away the father's frown. He won the crown for his father's renown. He's the most precious noun of any town around. In his glory and beauty, we can drown. When sin increases, his grace will abound. He's the master of the lost and found. He's like the heavenly hound. He'll chase you down. He died but rose up from the ground so his mercy would surround his enemies confound and his people forever astound with his glory unspeakably profound. That's my king. All your needs he will provide since he died to make you a bride. He'll kill your pride and be your guide. He's forever and always on your side. So put all sin aside and in him abide. Even though you're tempted and tried his arms are open wide so run to him and in his mercy hide and spread his gospel worldwide so you can praise his name in heaven with all nations side by side he satisfies the desire of every living thing of all pleasure and joy he's the everlasting spring he can't help but make you sing because of all the delight he'll bring so turn from every other empty fling and flee to him and cling because he's the only all satisfying king that's my king 
Christ is the bread who satisfies. He has compassion, heals, supplies all our desires of any size. He's the good shepherd who'd baptize our hearts. He came to circumcise, creates from nothing, analyze. In Genesis, he's God all wise, yet for lost sinners, agonize. He bore God's wrath and helpless cries. Forsaken all alone, he dies. But in three days, our king did rise conquered sin and death and lies by faith alone we're just arise it's God alone who opens eyes to grant in Christ all joys and highs so come to Christ who satisfies for he's our everlasting prize that's my king do you know my king today father we praise you for the king of kings we praise you for the lord of lords we praise you for showing us what he did in feeding these 15 or 20,000 people. Father, we stand before you weak and often unbelieving like the disciples. God, we say that you would help us. God, we believe, help our unbelief. Help us know that you love us. Help us know that you know what's best. Help us know that you're able to do exceedingly above and beyond what we could ever ask or think. Help us trust you, Lord. Help us come to you, Jesus. Help us look unto Jesus. Help us to bring everything we have to Jesus. Help us to bring him our pains and our sorrows and our losses and our fears and our worries and our anxieties. Help us to bring to Jesus our nothingness. Help us to bring to you, Jesus, our gifts and place them in your hands. And God, we pray that you would multiply them and glorify your name and use us, Lord. Use us to serve. Use us to love others. God, use us in all the ways you want to use us. Help us to believe you as the God who does the impossible. Father, be with those who may be here this morning that don't know you this afternoon now. We pray that today would be the day they would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, grant us a time of silent prayer now to just be with you and ask you to apply this sermon to our heart. Lord Jesus, we praise you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same God-man who multiplied the bread is in us and walks with us today. Oh, Father, help us to walk in joy and confidence knowing that's true. For Jesus' sake, amen.